Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I figured we'd start this new year by me telling you a story that will make you feel very sorry for me. Um, more in the funny way, though, because we can't jump right into the like super sorry, cry, feel sorry for him thing, but... Um, I was thinking about it as I was, I was looking at this message this week. I'm like, how do I start this out? So there's this story of this girl when I was in high school. So I'm about 17 years old. And um, there's this beautiful blonde girl, right? With one of those smiles that just fills her entire face. Have you ever seen those? Okay. Just a massive smile. She loved the Lord. We had been friends for a long time. We went to the same youth group. And about the age of 17, I was like, man, I've been friends with this girl for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is more than just friendship to me. I like this girl. So, um, but I was not one of those guys who just kind of jumped, you know, at every thought that I had. I don't know how God protected me from being that, but I wasn't one of those guys. So I actually kind of carried this a little bit on my own for a little bit. With the exception of my best friends, I had Matt Brandt, who was my cousin, and my other friend, Evan. Those were my, that was my crew, my, my entourage. So they knew about it. As time went on, I started to really kind of go, man, I really like this Lindsay girl, we're good friends, we have a great relationship, all this kind of stuff. And because I didn't say anything to anyone, you just, my mind just starts to kind of wander and all that kind of stuff. So I started thinking, man, you know, this girl, maybe she's the one, right? Like, we connect well, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I began to kind of develop, I remember even telling my mom about her, and my mom's like, yeah, I like her, she's great. You know, the mom holding down too much excitement. But um, I remember telling like, Mom, I really like this girl. So I started to kind of get this idea in my head that I thought that maybe we would be, you know, we could work, right? So then I started even kind of dreaming a little bit. I was just one of those weird kids, right? Weird dudes. This is normally a girl thing, but this is something I did. But um, I began thinking, you know, okay, so if if Lindsay and I would get married, that would make me really happy, right? If that would happen, I could see my life going really great because I really like her. She's got a beautiful smile. She loves Lourdes, all these kind of things, okay? So finally, after some time, I decide that I need to tell Lindsay, okay? We've been friends for a long time. So it's the summer camp after my junior year. I tell my friends, Matt, Brant, and Evan, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going to tell her. Like, you go, you know, is that kind of thing. And uh, ultimately, what ends up happening is I go up to her one day and, and on, a, on a morning, and I say, okay, Lindsay, listen, I'd like to talk to you. We have some time today. She goes, oh, that's great. I want to talk to you, too. And I'm like, like, what if she's going to say the same thing to me? That's kind of what I'm thinking. So we get to this point. We've done this Bible devotion study thing at camp, and it had all ended. I'm like, hey, Lindsay, is now a good time? She's like, yeah. So we go in the corner of this room. There's like 50 other people in the room. are just kind of sitting there. And we'd been friends, so this wasn't weird, okay? Um, I say, all right, Lindsay, you go first, because I'm like, wow, how cool would this be if she's... She goes, okay, you know, I've been, I wasn't sure if I should talk to you about this. You know, we've been friends for a long time, and I'm thinking... She goes, just, you know, is Matt single? Matt, your, your best friend Matt, is he single? And I was like, yep. Yeah, he's, he's single. Do you think, you think he'd, he'd be into me? Yeah, you know, he probably would. You're beautiful. Just a compliment. And then, you know, this is kind of like out of a movie, right? You've seen this scene before. And you're like, oh. Well, it gets even more, oh, because it kept going. We had this conversation. I'm just like this, and right at the end, like I kind of, as she's walking away, oh yeah, what did you want to ask me? And I was like, it's nothing. And that was it. She dated Matt and not Mike. (laughs) 
oh, we should feel sorry for me. But we've all been there, right? Okay, we've all been there. We've had these dreams, these ideas that this thing that could come or this person we could date or whatever it is, if this thing would happen, we would be happy, right? This is, this is the next big thing, right? We've all been there, okay? We've all had something that we've wanted to come and it came or didn't come, but we've all been there. Are you with me? Okay, I think, I think we're here enough. Here's the question I wanna ask you though. Have you ever noticed, let's, let's skip to the positive here for a moment. I gave you a sad story. We've all also had those moments where we were anticipating something that we thought would make us happy and it came and it did make us happy, right? Because it's a cool thing. But have you ever noticed that whenever that thing comes, because we've built it up, built it up in our minds so much, whenever that thing comes, the happiness that comes from it always fades. And then at some point, we always begin looking for the next thing that if I get it, will finally make me happy. Have we all been there? Can we just have some community in this right now? Let's get some head shaking up and down. We've all been there, okay? We've all been there. Today, I wanna ask this question. Is there something in this world, is there something that exists that can give us true and lasting happiness. We've all kind of had this experience in our lives that, that typically that's not how these things that we build up actually work. They give us momentary happiness, but it doesn't last. We always end up craving something else. Is there something that can give me true and lasting happiness? And I think this is an important question because the truth is, I believe that we live in a culture that absolutely craves happiness. We've all said it, we've all heard it, everyone talks about it, I'll finally be happy when, there's this blank there and we just fill it in and every once in a while it happens or it doesn't. But in many ways, I want you to know that I believe that the ultimate goal in our culture has actually become happiness. And maybe it's been that way for a while, but I really believe in society here in America, the highest, most ultimate, largest, most loftiest goal that we have is happiness. And someone a long time ago came up with the phrase, the pursuit of happiness. This is what we do in America, right? We see it everywhere. It's taken over our language, our pursuits, our churches, our homes, and the way we raise our children. And in fact, it's taken over the risks that we take. It's responsible for some of our addictions. Let that sit in for a moment. Our debt, our failed marriages, and certainly countless other things that we could list. I believe the pursuit of happiness really is the mantra of society right now. And you've heard it, you hear it in the movies, you hear it all over the place. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself, it's all that matters. What you deserve to be happy, you do. It's what we hear all the time. Do whatever makes you happy, whatever that is, and that becomes our mantra, that becomes what we hear. It becomes the reason for why we do things, because you and I, you know what? We deserve to be happy. In my view, it may be that the world has never been more obsessed with its own personal happiness than the times that we live in now. And yet, from my perspective, being someone who works with adolescents, emerging adults, and families, that's my job. The studies will back this up. We may have never in all of human history seen a generation of young people so unhappy and insecure. This happiness culture is such a big deal that it's crept into our churches and our faith in God as well. In fact, I would argue personally 
that the primary religion in America is a false pseudo-Christianity that has been invented to make ourselves feel better. In fact, a famous sociologist has given a name to this thing that I'm arguing for, this belief system. His name's Christian Smith from Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Um, in fact, he's come up with a name for it, and he calls it moral therapeutic deism. I believe this is the prevailing belief system in America today, and in, in many cases, the prevailing belief system in churches. Here's what it means. Moral. If I do good, or if I am generally a good person, deism, and a God exists, so if I do good and I'm generally a good person and a God exists, then I deserve happiness from God. That's what we believe. Moral therapeutic deism literally means if I'm a good person, then God, whoever he is, owes me happiness. If I am a good person, then God, whoever he is, and there's a lot of debate in that little state, whoever God is, if I'm a good person, whoever God is, he owes me happiness. It's an exchange. This belief system then crashes into our craving for happiness, so much so that most people get mad at God if we don't get what we want or think that we deserve. I deserve this, we tell ourselves. I've done everything that God has asked for me. Look, God, I've got the list with check boxes and lines. It says obedience, check. It says reading the word, check. It says faithfulness, check. It says all of these things, God, and look, I do it, so you need to act. And when he doesn't, oh, God should, God should hold up his side of the bargain. And so then we're forced down this spiral of wondering, did I misunderstand everything or does God even exist or does he even love me? Or maybe, maybe I've done something wrong to deserve this punishment. Because I didn't get what I wanted and I deserve to be happy. This is the landscape I believe that we live in. This is the world we know this is many people in the church today. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's many of us in this room. If not now, at least at some point it has been. And I can look you honest in the eye and say, for me it was. I was there. And I had to wrestle with that. So we asked this question. Is there anything in this world that can give us lasting and true happiness? And as we do that, I'd like today to turn to Psalm chapter one. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip that open. If you don't, we're gonna put the text up on the screen here in a moment, we're gonna read it together. And we're gonna look at this Psalm, which, which may, surprising, it may surprise you, this Psalm really has a whole lot to do with happiness, okay? But I wanna warn you, Psalm 1 is introducing us to something that is very different than the moral therapeutic deism, the idea that if I do all these things, then God owes me happiness. It's introducing us to something extremely different and radical. So let's read together. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law 
He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like a chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We're gonna leave this verse up on the screen here for quite a few moments here because there is so much here that we need to unpack because when we do, we're gonna have to wrestle with this and figure out how we can apply this to our lives today. But ladies and gentlemen, I love this, this text. I love Psalm chapter one and I have fallen in love with it this year and I'll tell you why here in a few moments. But before we get there, Let's take a deeper look at Psalm chapter one. Okay, so the first thing that we see here is blessed is the man, and we have to understand this, okay? Because when we hear the word blessed, sometimes we're like, okay, cool, so blessed. Like, I, I mean, I'm not really sure what that means, but I get that it's positive. So this text was written in, in the original language, okay? This, this word blessed literally means it's an emotional statement. It's an exclamation that sounds a lot like this. Oh, how happy is the man. That's how Psalms starts. The book of Psalms starts with the phrase, oh, how happy is the man. It's meant to have rich and deep emotion as you hear it. But it's interesting. He doesn't just start with a list that says, you know, you're happy if you do these things. He actually begins with three negatives, the opposite. Oh, how happy is the man not? And then he lists three things. The first thing, the first thing that he lists here is, Oh, how happy is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And what we do here, if we replace that word counsel with the word advice, we really kind of get to the heart of things. Oh, how happy is the man who does not take advice from the wicked. This is speaking of someone who's acting on the advice and therefore the principles of those who have no relationship with God. Now before I go farther, you're gonna see that these three statements as we unpack them, they're powerful and strong. And I just want you to know, this is the text. And there's meaning behind it. We need to, we need to sit under it and hear it. Literally what this section is saying here is it happy is the man who does not take advice from those who do not have an intimate relationship with God. In fact, I want us to hear this and understand this. There's a quote that I read in a commentary this week that I wanna to read to you. Here's what it is. Ours is a time in which those who have no room for God are ever ready and eager to offer advice to those who are living for God. This advice is all around. It crops up in personal conversations, in magazine and newspaper articles, in movies and television shows. All of these and others to join their voices in the incessant pounding cry, live like this, it's fun, you'll be glad you did. Quick disclaimer, if you're here today, and maybe this is your first time at Compass, or maybe you've been sitting here in these, in these seats for a long time and you're thinking, I came here because I'm searching for God. I don't really have an intimate relationship with, with him. And I, I came because I want to get to know him. And what I'm hearing you say up to this point right now is that the advice that, that the text is giving is that no one should listen to me. How, what are you doing here, sir? Like this is supposed to be an uplifting place. If you're sitting here today and, and you're seeking and trying to develop a relationship with God, I'd like to ask you to stick with me. I said that these are some strong statements. 
And there, you're gonna find as we unpack them that they're a whole lot less about you than it may seem right now. So if you take offense to that, I wanna just say, I get it, I get it. But please stick with me, you'll see what we're doing here in a moment. I just wanna give you that disclaimer, okay? So the first thing, who does not, uh, blessed is the man who does not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Number two, nor stands in the way of sinners. In other words, this is someone who becomes the servant of the way of sinners or does the things that they do, thinking of them as wise or good or perhaps not that bad. Really what we're seeing here is blessed is the man or how how happy is the man who does not look at the way of sinners, the way of those who don't know the Lord and go, oh, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I'll just try that. Maybe I'll go, you know, they look like they're having fun. And then we go and begin to walk in their way outside of the way that God's word would point us. Oh, how happy is the man who does not do that. And number three, oh, how happy is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. This is talking about abiding in and remaining in and permanently conforming to the conduct of arrogant scoffers. These are people who would look at other people no matter what they believe, just because they are arrogant and feel great about themselves and feel like they have all the answers. These are the people who would point at you and laugh because you're a fool. You don't know what they know. (laughs) What an idiot. There's a heart, deceitful, high view of themselves that is taken over and that's who they are. Oh, how happy is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. That's how he starts. Oh, how happy, three knots. And then we get to the word but, and let me just give you a little insight into Mike Zerata here right now, okay? I love the word but in the Bible. You know how many times you see the word but and what it's doing is it's transitioning us from something that's really hard to hear to something that's really cool. So we've just gone through these three things right here and it gives us the but and the but makes me so happy, okay? You can hear the youth pastor in me right now, right? And then he continues, but his delight, what we're hearing here, his delight, his pleasure, his desire, his longing, his delight, his longing is in the law of the Lord, in other words, the word of God as it's been, as it stands before us right now, his delight, his longing is for the word. But his delight is for the law, the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditate, it's to speak of or imagine or consider all day. Oh, how happy is the man who delights and longs for the word of God and thinks on it and considers it all day. For he is like a tree, tall and strong, firmly planted in streams of water. What we're seeing there is a tree being provided for in strength provided for, those waters giving it everything that it needs. That tree produces its fruit in its season. Keep in mind there, it's not saying it produces fruit all the time, but in its season. Lest we buy the idea that if we're reading God's word that we're always happy. In all that he does, he prospers. That word prosper there, I want us to understand that. In the original language, it means to make progress or to advance. 
I want to put this very simple for us because I think it's so important that we get this. And this is a little bit of Pastor Mike, Mike Zerati trying to get you to understand what, I, what this passage means to me. As I've read it and tried to understand it and dug into it, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, I've read this thing 30, 40, 50 times this year. God just keeps bringing me back to it. I believe that Psalm 1 is a blueprint written by the creator of all things on how to be happy. How to prosper. And in a lot of ways, how not to be happy. The author clearly intends to communicate to us that someone who's living a godly and righteous life is the one who finds the true and lasting happiness, while the one who lives without regard to God is the one who's miserable, and oh, how different is that than the rest of the world? For they would flip it, wouldn't they? Wouldn't the world tell us that those who live devoted to God is miserable, and those who live unshackled by the rules of God, those are the people who have all the fun. I disagree with that. That's not been my experience. But don't we get tempted by that thought sometimes? I mean, isn't it true that sin, that the sin that we see people do, the sin that we've done in our lives, isn't it true that sin is fun? Doesn't sin almost always look good? And isn't it true that sometimes you kind of wrestle with that idea of, 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 man, those people have a lot of fun. They seem to have a great time. And isn't it true that at some point in our life we kind of really kind of wrestle with that? Or maybe if, maybe if we're past that, maybe you're like, okay, well maybe when I was 15, but not anymore, Mike. I mean, come on, I've lived my life here. I understand how this works. Then why is it that we struggle so hard to read this and hear what it's saying, that Psalm 1 is a blueprint for happiness. Why is it that we struggle so hard to really genuinely believe it? I think most of us, if we're Christians, we'll hear it, we'll go, yeah, that's good, God can make me happy, right, You're, that's, that's right, Mike, I believe it. But I really wanna have a moment of honesty here for a second. I'd like to push on us, do you really Do we really believe it? Do we really buy the idea, as this passage so strongly suggests, that devoting ourselves to the word of God and the pursuit of God can actually make us happy? Do we really? Now some of you may be in this room going, whoa, Mike, relax. And by the way, yeah, I really do. I've learned, this is, this is, this is experience talking. I know it's true. I've ex- I know it. Don't tell me I don't, Mike. Okay, I get it. Me too, sort of. I wanna push again. Do we really delight in the word of God? Do we really delight in meditating on it day and night? Is that really the default place that we go for happiness? And maybe it's true for you. Maybe you're gonna, yeah, still Mike, and you know what, amen. This, this message is gonna be an amen after an amen for you. 
But if you're anything like me, and there are times in your life where you honestly, genuinely struggle to delight and long for the word of God and then meditate it, meditate on it all the time. If you're anything like me, and that's not always true for you, I'd like to ask this question, why is that the case? Why is it that when I approach God's word, I don't always delight in it? Why is it that I, I don't always long for it? Why is it that sometimes when I pick it up, it does nothing for me? Or so it seems. Because I think the truth is there's a lot of us who can connect a lot with the truth that I just shared with you. The idea that sometimes we just struggle with this. We hear it and we go, yes, amen. But in experience in life, it's not always something we truly feel. Why is that? I have a hunch. But in order to show you the hunch or tell you the hunch, I need you to play a game with me. Can we play a game real quick? I don't have a lot of time, but we need to play a game. This is a word association game. I'm gonna need some crowd participation, so if you're falling asleep, wake up. I need you to raise your hand. If you don't know what a word association game is, it, it, I'll give you the instructions. Here's how it goes. In a moment, I'm gonna give you four words. Okay, I've chosen four words. And as soon as I say them, and a word association game is, you have to basically raise your hand and tell me the first person you thought of related to those words. Okay, so I'll give you four words. The first human being that comes to your mind, when you hear these words, you gotta raise your hand, and I'm gonna call on you, I'm gonna pick on a few people, and you gotta talk loudly. Can we do this? Okay, here's the words. If you don't have any clue, just listen, okay? Okay, uh, what are the words, what are the words? Okay, here we go, ready? There's four of them. Smart, well-informed, intelligent, brilliant. Smart, well-informed, intelligent, brilliant. First person that comes to mind. Abraham Lincoln, let's keep going, who else? One person. Yeah, okay, right here. Who? Solomon, who else? Smart, I almost said, smart, well-informed, intelligent, brilliant. Yeah. Fuzzy, I don't, okay, some of us know who that is. Who else? JFK, anyone with Einstein? I thought I'd hear this one by now. Yeah, that was me, I didn't raise my hand. Okay, what else? Anyone else? Going once, going twice. Beautiful. Question. You know someone who almost never comes up in this specific word association game? Jesus. My favorite author, Dallas Willard, speaks to this fact. The truth is, you just played into his game. He invented it, it wasn't me. This is a game that he plays, and here's the quotes that he follows when he reports on his findings. He says this, here we uncover a profoundly significant fact. In our culture among Christians and non-Christians alike, Jesus Christ is automatically disassociated from brilliance or intellectual capacity. Not one in a thousand will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with these words. Jesus Christ, the person. Would you be able to trust your life to such a person? If this is how he seems to you, are you going to be inclined to become his student? He says, of course not. We all know that action must be based on knowledge and we grant the right to lead and teach only to those who we believe know what is real and what is best. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we look at, these, we look at Jesus and we give him a lot of credit for being really powerful, but we don't look at him being very smart. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked at his resume? Let's just pop a little section of his resume on the screen here real quick. Number one, and this is no big deal, he created everything known and, all, and unknown, whatever. He currently holds all things together. 
Colossians. He knows how to rearrange the molecular structure of water to make it into wine. I can do that. John 2. He knows how to make physically dead things live. He can heal a person without even being physically present with them, and he can command bones that have never been correctly set to rearrange, repair, simply by the command of his voice. It's funny, isn't it? We recognize Jesus as good and powerful, and many of us even God, but not smart, intelligent, brilliant, or well-informed. And so often, because of that, we believe in him, but we don't always believe in what he says. So when we read passages like this in Psalm 1, we really struggle to believe it with all of our core. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here today because I want to tell you that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is the smartest, most intelligent, and brilliant man to have ever walked this earth. He is God. He created He saved, he holds all things together. He knows you deeper, more intimately than you know yourself. He provided the breath, the air that just now filled your lungs. He made the world and everything and everyone in it and he knows better than anyone how it works and how it does not work. Yeah, he's smart. A moment ago I gave a disclaimer to those of you who are here maybe searching for God and you might have heard those knots and been kind of offended by them. Hopefully by now you can see that the point was not to offend you, the point was simply to say that it is simply not a fair comparison. He is God, he made all of this. And if you really think about it, it makes logical sense that you and I in our finite state of not being God That kind of limits our understanding of everything around us. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, please do not miss this. God knows how this world works and everything in it better than we do. His ways are completely better, smarter, and wiser than ours. And in all of his infinite intelligence, what he is saying to us tonight is that we will find great joy, happiness, and prosperity when we delight in his word and meditate on it day and night. Yeah, I think this psalm is very intelligently placed as a blueprint for joy and given to us by the most brilliant, smartest, most intelligent man to ever walk this earth, to make you prosper and to give you joy in him. At this point, if you're a cynic or you know God's word very well, you may actually be have, have a burning question in the back of your mind. So I'm gonna take us a little off course and address this and then we're gonna come back because we gotta land this plane. There's one fairly important question that we have left unanswered, and it's this. If Psalm, if the book of Psalms and this text here gives me the blueprint for joy, then why are the Psalms filled with so much sadness, lament, and cries to God? It's a fair question, isn't it? Sounds great, Mike. You're telling us Psalm 1, which introduces the entire book, which, by the way, is full of sadness, lament, and crying out to God. Yeah, I buy that. We gotta address this. In America, 
we have a pretty established idea of what the word prosper means, right? When we hear the word prosper, we can play a word association game and connect a whole lot of other words to it that have a lot to do with getting the things we want. This causes many Christians to misunderstand this word in scripture. And for many of us, it could truly be this, the case today. Let me point something out. Like we already said, this passage opens up Psalms. And the first line is, oh, how happy is the man. This can't be a mistake. Maybe we misunderstand happiness and prosperity and where it comes from. The prosperity that you and I think of when we hear the word can almost certainly not be what's being referred to here. I'd like to suggest a different meaning. But in order to do that, I think the best way to do it is present you with a question. Could it be that when a person delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night, that they can prosper even in their suffering or perhaps because of it? Could it be that when someone delights in the word of God and meditates on it, that he can prosper, and remember what we said about prosper, to make progress, to advance, that he could prosper even in suffering or perhaps because of it. Could it be that that is exactly what the book of Psalms is trying to tell us? That no matter what is going on, you turn to him, you cry out to him, you lament, and he is always there, and he'll do something special with it. It's been a hard year for me. Art alluded to it earlier, whether um, 2017 was tough. So let you in a little bit on it and kind of help you see where I'm coming with this. I lost a very close friend this year to cancer. In fact, he was my best friend. He was someone who I didn't expect to die. And he was also someone who loved me in a way that very few people in my entire 34 years of life have ever loved me. And I miss him. Shortly after my friend died, one of my mentors moved away. On top of that, my wife and I also had some other close friends move away. Depending on how you see it, unfortunately or fortunately, I also happen to be one of those guys that feels for other people. And I have a lot of very close people in my life right now who are experiencing some pain from a lot of the same things I am, and I can't help but feel it with them. I know some of you may have had a hard 2017, but what's interesting about me being able to share this right now is that this message today is quite possibly just as much for me as it is for you. I've said it already, God's been bringing me back to this psalm over and over and over. I've meditated over it, I've cried over it, I've read it over, as many, I can't even count, 
And so I thought I'd share this with you today because it's personal to me. And I thought maybe if I could take you through the process that I've gone through this year in reading books and reading this text and God just doing this stuff and bringing me to where I am, I could share with you the big idea that he's been giving me through it and perhaps maybe he'll give to you. It's this. Here's today's big idea and I believe the big idea of this entire text and it's very simple. It's God saying, I am all you need. I'm all you need. You know what's crazy? What's really crazy is that he's right. This is right. When I'm delight in the word of the Lord, when I meditated on a day at night, what happens is, is I get him. And he's right. He's all I need. In fact, all of the hardship this year has proven to me, proven that to me. I'm happy. God is good. I'm thankful. And I'm full of joy, even though I'm still hurting. And that makes no sense. (laughs) How is that possible? How after this year is that possible for me? It's because I have him. Somehow as I have pursued him and fought to trust him through it all, he's turned that hardship strangely into good and beyond that, in the midst of it even, he's brought me joy. You may be thinking here today, that's great for you, Mike, but what about me? Because right now I don't feel joy. Think about it like this. One of two things always happens when we suffer. We either get farther from God or we grow closer to him. You never stay the same. When you're really hurting, and you almost can't handle it anymore. You are either being drawn closer to him out of absolute desire and necessity, or you're getting angrier and angrier with him and going farther away. That's how it works. Suffering can either be just a thing that you try and survive, or it can be something that as you trust God through it, as you trust God despite it, he can teach you about the beauty and wonder of his closeness in difficult times. If, here's what I want you to hear, this is what I'm saying, and here's what God's saying. If you choose him, no matter what circumstances in life, you will prosper, you will make progress, you will advance. In fact, I am learning to, I'm coming to believe that it is in suffering that I prosper the most. Because God is good, and you learn about his closeness. Many times in my life I've thought I'd known what it was gonna take to make me happy. And through reading God's word, through teaching of other pastors and other mentors in my life, through my parents, through all these different circumstances, I've followed God and I've trusted him. And the more I've done that, the more that I've learned that all of my plans are junk. 
I married the love of my dreams. I have two wonderful children. I go to a church that I love. I get to preach the word. I get to be a youth pastor. Those weren't necessarily my plans. They were his. By the grace of God, he put people in my life that pushed me to trust God despite it all. And 2017 was a year that I don't want to relive. But I am a real live human being with great conviction standing in front of you right now saying God is good. And I'm hurting. But I'm smiling because of him. So here's my challenge to you tonight. If God is really all that I need, then I should pursue him more. And I hate to make it so simple. Maybe you're waiting for some powerful challenge. It'll blow your socks off, but this is it. It's not in the challenge, it's in him. If God is all I need, then I beg you, pursue him. Get in the book. Read it. Read the book of Psalms and see the hardship and the pain and the sorrow and see how all these people don't run from God, but they turn to him. Read the Gospels and see the beauty of God himself coming down and rescuing us. Pursue him. Maybe you're in this room and I've already kind of talked to you a little bit and you're not a Christian. And perhaps you're even here and you're angry with God. Maybe something terrible has happened in your life. Perhaps you blame him. Can I let you in on a little secret as I close? God loves the world enough to let you and I make choices. He loves you and I enough that he didn't make us into little puppets that do exactly what he wants us to do all the time. So he lets us act on our own wisdom. And because of that, because we're not God and we act on our own wisdom, we live in a very broken world, one that hits us right and left with horrible and sad and tragic things. Those things are not his doing. You are not being punished. You live in a broken and fallen world. A world in which God loves and he loves to come close to those who are hurting because he's been there. He suffered and died and lived on this earth just like you and I did and he knows every pain you've ever known. He's experienced it himself. So if that's you, you can take it from me or perhaps you can try it for yourself by surrendering to him today. But let me remind you, whether you know it or not yet, he is all you need. He can take every sorrow that you've experienced in this life and turn it into something that prospers you, that grows you, that makes you better. Something where at the end of it all, somehow you say, I'm glad that happened. I wouldn't do it again, but I see you in it, God. I invite you to do that today. And if you're in this room and you're a believer and you've been following God for 
however long. Perhaps it's time for you and I not just to believe in Jesus, but to actually believe that what he says is true and that he has given us a blueprint for joy and happiness and prosperity in life. I'm gonna invite the band up right now because as I was writing this, I thought, we have to close praising God. I invite you, followers of Jesus, seekers of God, wherever you're at, pursue him. Because you'll find him and you will find the strangest and most wonderful thing that we live in a world where everyone suffers but somehow those who love God, he grows them, prospers them through it, gives suffering purpose. And it's awesome because he's awesome. God, thank you for this time. I pray that your spirit would settle these truths in our hearts. And God, that we would pursue you no matter where we're at before we walked in this room. That we would pursue you, get to know you, and chase after you. Because when we do, we will find that you're good. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.